Welcome to the 13th episode of Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Today you'll hear from Kelly Murray, who is the official chiropractor for the Las Vegas Raiders and the Golden Knights. Kelly will speak about his faith-filled approach to life, and especially about the power of prayer. In every episode, we interview prosperous members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The goal of the show is to encourage and inspire young adult members of the church. I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, Brother Mary, thank you for, for joining me. Thanks for being here today. Um, let's get started with, uh, with a little bit about you. Where are you from? What do you do? Um, how long you've been doing it and all that? Yeah, thank you. I, I grew up in Las Vegas, still live in Las Vegas. I've moved away for school and, and other professional opportunities. Um, I did my undergraduate school at uh, UVU, although it was UVSC at the time. And I did my graduate schooling in Davenport, Iowa, Palmer College of Chiropractic. Um, I graduated in 2004, and I've moved between Las Vegas and Utah a couple of different times, opening clinics in both locations. Oh, wow. So you've got some some clinics over in in Utah as well? In the past. I've sold them now, and uh, my only clinics are in, in Las Vegas now. Okay. Well, cool. So did you always know that you were going to be a chiropractor since, since you were a little kid? That's a good story, actually. So yes, the answer is yes. Um, I oh. began in, uh, in high school. I, I started as a, as a sophomore in Las Vegas as a cross-country runner, not having really any experience with running previous. Just simply ran a fast mile time over the summer. Uh, and uh, a coach said, hey, try out for cross-country and track. And I did. And that became quite uh, a change in my life. So as I started uh, running, we had a good team and uh, we were my school's first state championship. Uh, I was part of that team. And as a result of, of uh, running times and uh, things that became my scholarship to go to UBSC uh, later, but it was chiropractic that really influenced me during that time because the, uh, the challenges of, of running longer distances were hard on my body and chiropractic is what helped me stay well between races and, and train harder, reach goals, things like that. Okay, cool. So you were like seeing a chiropractor throughout like that high school career of running. And so that kind yeah. of got you in that direction. Right. Yeah. Like after a tough race or really hard training week, I'd go see the chiropractor okay and feel well, well enough to train hard again the next week and race hard again. Okay, cool. So just for my own curiosity, because I'm curious about this, like, do you need to see a chiropractor? Like, what is like, like how uh, medically like essential is that? I love that question. That's what I answer every day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So essential is a subjective word for sure. Uh, but I, I tell patients all the time, if you're adding stress to your body, whether it's through work or physical activity, sports, um, then there's going to be an effect on your body. 
typically tense muscles are going to pull against your joints and stiffen joints. So neutralizing that stiffness effect and keeping good motion enhances your body's ability to function well and not, not develop chronic tension, chronic conditions. Okay. So like it's, it's also kind of a preventative thing. Like you mitigate future problems. Right. Yeah. I mean, the answer to that is yes, but insurance companies hate the preventive word. So that's not typically why a patient would come see me. I would focus on the pain, but the truth Mm -hmm. is yes, it's, it prevents unnecessary pain. Cool. Interesting. Okay. So, um, between high school and getting your full degree, you said you, you said you served a mission, right? So will you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So I ran, I ran for the cross country team at UBSC that first, that first year and, and left from there to, uh, my mission, which was in Colorado. Uh, I had the same mission president the whole time. And, uh, like many missionaries, there, there was a lot of respect there with, with that mission president. And he taught me, he taught me things in application that I had learned as a, as a youth in the church, but I was now living those principles in a very real way. I was really leaning on God to show me where to teach and, and what to do with, with my faith. Uh, so yeah, that, that was a, a, a wonderful experience. Uh, our mission covered Wyoming, Nebraska, and Colorado, the Northern part of Colorado at that time. Okay. Wow. That's bigger than the uh, Colorado missions are now, I think. <laughs> I think so. I haven't really looked. <laughs> so what were those, those doctrinal things that you feel like you, you were applying on your mission that you had learned as a kid? Okay. So, um, everything begins with faith. That's to me, that's, that's always an an undertone of, of whatever uh, topic that we'd be talking about. But one of the things that president Horn um, he's passed away now, but one of the things that he uh, talked often about were levels of prayer. And so I began to apply uh, the things that he taught me and was able to connect with God in ways that I couldn't previously partly because I was set apart as a missionary to, to connect with God and to do something that he was asking me to do as a, as one of his followers and and teachers, but accessing God through prayer became real and meaningful, especially when I, when I would seek uh, language, I, I think is a good way to put that seek specific language to say to God, and express myself before God. Okay. You talked about, you said he talked about levels of prayer. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah. yeah so a, a superficial prayer, level one prayer would be um, the, the repetitive prayer um, that we mm-hmm. all say, thank you for my day. Grateful for this and that. Please bless me with this or that. Amen. Um, and then ascending through those levels, I didn't come with that, um, the levels as he outlined them, um, written down, but a level four prayer would be, uh, connecting with God through feeling and emotion, uh, and really feeling him as part of that prayer, guiding you through things that he knows that you need and 
influencing you through the spirit to ask for those things. There's a, a really beautiful scripture in Romans chapter eight, verse 26, that says, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit intervenes with groanings, which cannot be uttered. That's how Paul puts it. And so I would translate that into an emotional response to the spirit directing me and guiding me into what to pray for. Well, that's cool. Like I've, I've heard of that before and I've experienced that to some extent. Right. But like, that's a good way to put it. There's different levels of prayer and an ascending order, but I, I wouldn't have like expected that having the spirit guide you in a prayer would be such a, an essential part of that top tier. Right. So another question, cause for me, I feel like sometimes my prayers are great. Sometimes my prayers kind of suck. And so like, sometimes I'm like, I have a few days where I'm stuck in those superficial prayers. Right. So do you think it's possible to be like always at that, that top level, that level for prayer? Do you think for you, like, do you fluctuate a lot? Like, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think, I, I think there's a ton of fluctuation in those levels. My prayers are like yours. Sometimes I'm distracted. Sometimes I'm dealing with something really heavy that I can't even see clearly. I think a, a top tier prayer um, would be the result of having extraordinary clarity in your life at a given moment and really having worked through a struggle, a dilemma, or something you don't want to deal with and really connecting to God emotionally. These, these are rare occurrences for me. These happen every so often, but I can tell you, you know, um, exactly where I was when I had certain prayers like that and how I felt in moments like that, because the connection was much more tangible. Interesting. But um, you are making me think of, there was a, a, a hymn that I read on my mission and you know how like, there's like maybe 90 hymns that most of us know, like all the words to and the beat and the rhythm and all of that. And then there's like, those really random obscure ones that you've never even heard of. You didn't even know they existed. So <laughs> I found one of these really obscure ones one time and it talks about prayer and it basically says like prayer is more than just like words, right? Like you were saying, there's feelings and stuff too, but even like, even the way that we act day to day is a form of prayer, right? Like if I really want to lose weight, okay for example, and I'm praying to God, God, help me lose weight. Part of my prayer is my diet and exercise, right? Because I'm yeah. showing God what I want, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, just an interesting thought that, that should bring up like in that my mind. Yeah. I'd like to know what the hymn is. Yeah, I'll find it for you and I'll, I'll reference it at the, at the end. But so, um, and then another thing for me that you made me think of is um, written prayer. So for me, like occasionally I'll, I'll write down a prayer and write down like what God says back to me. And it's more definitely more intimate. And I tried doing it every day for a little while and it became like less meaningful, which is kind of interesting that those higher level prayers kind of have to be like special and important. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like Jesus probably prayed like high level prayers, like the whole time. 
right? So it's, it's doable, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm the one interviewing you, so. <laughs> I love but, those stories, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. You know, Paul says groanings, which cannot be uttered. I think that includes written, you know, like you, mm -hmm. you couldn't write down exactly what it was like because it's experienced. So there have been a couple places like that that are meaningful to me, locations. And I'll, I'll take a picture of the location and it'll pop up on a slideshow on my computer. It'll take me back to moments just like that. I'll recall them in those ways. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. That's a good way to like remember those spiritual like foundation blocks, right? Those testimony yeah. building experiences. I've never heard of right. doing that. So. Really cool. So an interesting question, how do you feel like um, you rely on prayer and on the spirit and on God's guidance in your life today? Today's a lot different than the, the mission days for sure. Right. I've got, uh, I, I failed to mention earlier on uh, my family, I, I uh, was married in uh, 99. So I've been married for 20, what is this year? 22, 23 years. <laughs> We've got five kids, my wife and I. And so I find myself praying often in behalf of my kids. I have one on a mission right now. Um, he's serving in Bolivia. And cool. so I find myself praying often in behalf of my children, but also in my own repentance. As I, as I pray now, I, I reflect on God's sacrifice for me and apply that in my life. Um, I work to surrender the things that I, I struggle to control when I feel like my prayers are, are really challenging in a certain week. It's likely because like I mentioned earlier, I'm not clear around that. So working through my my struggles, uh, one basis I use for that is King David. Uh, so I, I've gone through the Psalms, for example, and I'll write down King David's surrender that's what i call it his surrender at the end of his prayer because he'll begin a psalm by saying no man cares for my soul and then the end of the psalm might say and yet you are my rock and my salvation and i will depend right. on you and so i hmm. i take that literally I, I look at those as templates for higher level prayer where i can do my part as you mentioned uh live through my prayer express myself through the struggles that I feel and give them to God, surrender them to God, and then ask for his grace by, by applying my faith in knowing he's there, in knowing I can stand in his calm presence when I feel the energy of life, that sort of thing. Whoa, that's cool, man. Like it's, and we all kind of, kind of pray like that, right? Like we go to God with these like, things that are huge burdens on us and we're like why how could you do this to me like this is so hard like ah uh, like my life is so difficult and then you get to this point where like the end of the prayer you're like maybe not at the end of that prayer like sometimes it's a different prayer right <laughs> but you're giving it up right and so surrender is a a big part part of prayer i guess so yeah yeah i agree to that so you had mentioned um, sacrifice too. How do you feel like sacrifice is um, a principle that's been important in your life? Uh, that's a that's such a deep question. <clears throat> I would say 
early in my career, right after I graduated from school in 2004, my belief was that the more time I spent at work, the more that work would be, uh, it would grow faster. I wouldn't need to work as hard later if I put in a lot of hours now. So I subscribed to ideas like that, mm-hmm. not realizing the effect that was having on my family. And that was disunifying with my family. At the point in my career that I have now, um, I, I work to really boundary my work time. So I, boundarying is the sacrifice because there's my, my uh, instinct, my uh, desire to provide uh, could mean that I take that time selfishly. I, I used to work late hours. I used to go in early. Um, and now I have times that I absolutely will not work past anymore. Um, so that I can come home and be with my family. It seems like an odd thing to sacrifice. Of course, you would want to be with your family. And yet for me, that's been a struggle that I've needed to overcome. Right. Yeah, I'm kind of like a, a little bit of a workaholic. So that'll be a good a good principle for me to apply even. Like I've I've noticed a lot of the people that I I reach out to for interviews are like these really successful people. And I imagine that they're so busy, but I'll be like, Hey, can we do Saturday at this time? And they're like, no, sorry. That's my day for my family. I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. And so I've, I've noticed that's kind of a pattern. Like we have to set aside time and that's kind of what the Sabbath is for too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really true. Hmm. Yeah. God asked us to boundary our lives in ways like that. Right. Well, boundarying our lives. Really interesting. I've never heard of boundary as a verb, but I like it. It's good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Siri corrects me on that too. When I write that down, I'm boundarying this and she doesn't like that word. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. you know, to add to that, yeah. God is boundary too. He, he has commandments and he says, I, I can't look on sin with the least degree of allowance. And yet I provided my son. If you want to come and live with me, then you need to apply his atonement he cannot go against his own boundary so god god shows boundaries in his gospel no really interesting like everywhere right the lines are pretty clearly drawn and that's most of what he does is just shows us hey here's the lines like this is like where you have to stay within and stay without and so he definitely sees it the same way, I think. So that's an inspired, an inspired take on it. So going to kind of more, more temporal things, I'm curious, like, were there, like, if you had this vision of you knew what you wanted to do from like a younger age and you are doing it now, like, was that, were there, trials along the way like obstacles to getting there or has it been kind of smooth sailing becoming a chiropractor and having these practices no way no way has it been smooth sailing (laughs) i I think that's true of of almost everybody there's there's unforeseen obstacles and that's the point of life we encounter struggles and god wants to see how we'll respond in moments just like that and i could give i could give a lot of examples of that Um, I mean, school itself is, is a tremendous struggle having children as you 
as you as you develop a career in my case and in in many professionals cases there's a, a business component that I needed to learn and and I mentioned spending time that way I didn't have a corporate position that I could enter into and just say I'll make this salary because I work these hours mm-hmm. I needed to create the time that and and the ways that that looked like and what hours I could take care of patients within to make it convenient for them that's how I used to think of it and that was a big struggle for me to make it more about me and my family. That sounds selfish maybe, but God, God commands us to love our neighbor as ourself. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have love and respect for, for our goals that we feel inspired through prayer uh, to seek out and serve our families, then uh, we're not following that commandment to its fullest. So my struggles have been centered around balancing my life in, in a way that honors my covenant with, with him, with my God and with my family, my wife, my children. So a big part of that, it sounds like has been the, the balance of like work to, to family, right? Big part. Yeah. For me. Okay. So how, and I'm sure that's a balancing is not something that like you like reach balance right when if you look at a balance it it teeters back and forth and it's always under a little bit of tension so I'm sure there's always a little bit of a balancing act but what have you found that that helps with that so um I would say as as I've spent time considering considering uh the balance that I want to achieve in life the principle of solitude has really come in strong for me uh, during 2020, for example, when the whole world was affected by uh, COVID and, and the ways that that changed work and functioning within society, I, I took time to reflect on my life and took time to go uh, uh, hmm. let me back up actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Without bringing 22 into 2020 into it at all, uh, taking time apart from life for me typically looks like going for a run. I still do that. I'll go out into uh, the trails near my house and I'll go for a run for an hour, uh, something like that, and commune with God um, and create some solitude, some space for myself so that I can connect and have more clarity but specifically during 2020, I spent time on a, a local mountain nearby, um, hiking and connecting with God. Uh, that's a really meaningful place for me, uh, a place that I would train at when I was in my, in my youth. Uh, that's what helped me um, develop my, my skill was running at elevation. And so it's meaningful to me to go on, into the mountains and connect with God that way. And that solitude has, has helped me recenter and consider the areas in my life that I need to balance within more. Interesting. Do you feel like that is that introspection during that time of solitude? Do you feel like it's more of like your own thoughts and your own analyzing that? Or do you feel like it's guided by the spirit? Like what does that process look like? Yeah, to me, it's guided by the spirit. I, we've been studying and come follow me this year about Moses and he goes onto the mountain to talk with God in a burning bush. Uh, we learn how, 
how uh, temples in the past were on mountaintops. The Mount of Transfiguration is where Christ took his apostles so that they could talk with God. And that imagery is so meaningful to me. Um, uh, that's what uh, Christ said to Nephi to come to the top of the mountain. I'll talk with you there. And so I, I love that imagery and I feel a call to that because of the meaning that, that I receive from those stories. So when I go to the mountain myself, I'm looking to commune with God in a quiet environment where I can pray out loud, be open with him and uh, exert myself to get closer to him figuratively for me ascending the mountain. Right. No, I really like that. There's a, like some sort of poetry to that, right? That like it, there is sacrifice in that too, right? Like it's not just a prayer kneeling at your bedside like you normally would, right? You have to yeah. get out of that normal situation and make this special and show God that it's like, this really matters to me. I really need help here. And I feel like in my experience too, like when we do that, that's when you really see results because God wants to see your, your faith, right? Even if it's before, after, during the prayer, he wants to see your faith. And so that's a, a good thing. And there's tons of prophets who go on mountains. So many, <laughs> like they all go on mountains. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. Like I think brother, the brother of Jared was like on a mountaintop too. Like, I don't know, like they all go on mountains. Really interesting. Yeah. And, and part of it is to be apart from everybody. Christ did it too. Right. He would leave his apostles and, and he would achieve solitude and they'd be walking together and be like, Hey, where, where'd Jesus go? And he was mm -hmm. commuting with his father and that's what he'd come back and tell them, but he was gone for periods of time. So he could have that solitude as well. Not necessarily on a mountain every time, but solitude for me, you know, I, I can leave my house and be on a trail in 10 minutes. And mm. I love living in a place where I could do something like that. Yeah, no, definitely. So that's a, I'm sure that was a like deciding factor for you, like choosing your location then like you had to have yeah. somewhere you could go out. Yeah. Yeah. It was for me. I, I like being on the edge of town and, and it was that way in many places that I've lived and not even intentionally, but, I learned through the pattern of my life and looking at the pattern of life that I could see in God's scriptures, you know, the ability to, to get out of the city and into nature in some way was important to me. Yeah. I love how you brought up earlier, how, how your faith is, is applied to the, is the way you live your life. So that's, that's one way that I apply faith in that way. Yeah, no, definitely. We have to, we have to, and that's part of sacrifice too, right? A sacrifice is showing some faith. And so whether that is sacrificing work time for your family, or for some people, it's the opposite, right? For some people, it's sacrificing a little bit of family time for work. Like I've talked to people who that's the case. And so it's not always like one or the other too, but it's in line with, with our prayers and with our desires. We have to sacrifice the things that that are not there. And that shows God our faith, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So give me one second. Um, okay. Have there been for you 
any mentors that have really, really guided your path to where you are now? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the first chiropractor who shaped my career path was a mentor. He was my bishop when I was younger. Mm. And uh, so he was, he was absolutely a mentor for me. I mentioned my mission president. Um, he was a significant mentor for me. Of course, parents are mentors. I always looked to uh, my dad as the epitome of somebody who is spiritual and applies that in his life. But as I've transitioned throughout life, I've looked to, uh, to find the strength that God has placed inside me. So I think there's been a transition. As you asked that question, uh, I look for that strength more individually than I did from mentors in the past where mentors helped me get on the path and finding the path and ascending that path. I would say I look more directly to the source at this stage in my life, but he always places people around me in my life that he speaks through. And my wife is that voice. Now the, the closer I feel like I connect with God, the more, the closer it comes to that covenant pattern. I love how in the Old Testament, that's so clear, how Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it was all about passing on the covenant. And they've, they become my mentors, the characters in the scriptures as I see God's pattern. And therefore my covenant with my wife becomes so significant. I go to her for inspiration and guidance and clarity often. Well, yeah. I hadn't thought about um, people in the scriptures being a sort of mentor because I'm at this point where I'm like just going crazy looking for, for people who, who I can like relate with, who, who have experience in the, in the directions that I'm going, but like really we're all on a spiritual journey first and foremost. Right. So, so that's cool. So you, you mentioned earlier something about how like school itself was kind of a, was a struggle, right? Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? Like, why was, why was school a hard time for you? Well, I began my family in graduate school for one thing. That was a, a humongous change for me. Uh, it was no longer just me and my wife. I now had a little human to take care of uh, while we were in, in graduate school in Iowa. Uh, the nature of school was also quite different for me. I, I wasn't working in graduate school. I was only working. I was only uh, going to school. And it took all of my efforts just to stay on top of my course load. Um, at, the, at the rate I took courses, at that time, I had between 20 and 30 credits each trimester. We had trimesters in our school. Yeah. And wow. so it was, I was in class from 8 a.m. till 6 p.m. And then I'd have tests in all those classes every week so Man. for me i i didn't i don't feel like i endured that struggle with the kind of faith that i would if i could reapproach that same kind of schooling now i was just trying to keep my head above water and so this was a struggle of my own creation it was the lack of my faith at that stage hmm. i didn't really know what it meant to sacrifice time in a balanced way between family and school or family and work and so I've, I learned that pattern painfully 
at that time and I can juxtapose that against how I look at time and work now. And in fact, I could even say it's a form of repentance to live my life in a more principled way now as compared to when I was a student. Okay. Well, then this is really important then because there's there are people now who have that same struggle, right? Too much going on, just trying to keep their head above water. And so at this point, you can look back and say, oh man, like if I was in that same situation, I know how I would organize my time better so that I could have the right amount of time for family and recharging and solitude and spiritual things and all of that. What advice would you give to someone who's in that situation right now? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Uh, being decisive around time uh, when I was a student was a struggle for me. And I felt like life was unmanageable. That was not the truth. The truth was I could connect with God at any moment and feel that peace if I had the faith to do so. But that would require more sacrifice than I was willing to give at that time. The feeling of keeping my head above water was such a powerful temporal feeling, something that I I struggled with in a deep way. And that carried forward into the early part of my career. Life felt unmanageable. Like I, I need to create this business. My family depends on me. I need to earn money. You know, there, there, there are very true aspects to those things for survival. And yet our spirit just yearns to sacrifice. Our spirit yearns to boundary my life and, and discipline my life in a way that I, I can have God in my life and still be a good worker, a hard worker. I don't, I don't mean to say good um, as in enough. I mean to say efficient, I suppose. But also um, be responsible in my duties as a parent uh, and as a husband. Finding balance in those ways requires sacrifice. And that's what I would, that's how I would frame it to, that's how I do frame it to my, my kids and the next generation is be willing to sacrifice. Because if life feels unmanageable, likely you're looking at it from your own perspective only, which is just selfishness. If I want to be humble and meek and learn from God, then to achieve that balance, I will need to sacrifice. That's how blessings come from God. If you look at the pattern in his scriptures, it's always because of some sacrifice. I like how you said that. That really struck me when you said our spirits yearn to sacrifice. Like I've never thought of it that way. That we we even have this, this internal drive to like that same thing as before, surrender to God, right? To, to give up these things that we want for for what's more important. And I think also sacrifice, like if, if you don't choose to sacrifice something, it's something is going to be sacrificed like either way. Like, I don't know how to put that in a way that makes a lot of sense, but like, for example, right. Let's say I need to sacrifice a little bit of time at work for my family, right. If I don't do that, I'm, sacrificing something else anyway, right? You're sacrificing the time with your family. So every decision is a sacrifice. And that's like what agency is, is choosing 
what we sacrifice and what we keep. And so sacrifice is really actually so central to, to God's plan. And it's what Christ did, right? The, his ultimate sacrifice that was completely selfless. And I'm sure not something he was really very excited about right, at all. Yeah. Yeah. You look at his language around that. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. I like what you said back there, though. That was uh, very Alma 32. You can either choose to be humble or you can be compelled to be humble. That's how Alma puts mm -hmm. it. You could insert the word sacrifice there, too. Right. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Okay. Man, I've loved all of this. I've, man, this is incredible. You're a, you have this calm, like warm spirit about you that that's really good. So, um, okay. So another question, interesting, just for me, interesting, because I like to switch up the questions a little bit. And um, I'm curious going, going forward right now, um, what do you feel like is something that you're learning spiritually right now? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. Right now, I've been studying, uh, last year we did the Doctrine and Covenants, and I, I learned about the gifts of the Spirit, like, like all of us did, right? Section 46, mm -hmm. we learn about the gifts of the Spirit. And as I read about the history in Joseph Smith, I learned that he prayed most often for the gift of discernment, and that really struck me. Uh, discernment, I see, as what King Solomon had. He had this judicious wisdom to make a discerning choice at the right time for the right thing, for the right people. That's what I seek after now most earnestly is the ability to discern how do I balance my life today? And I act that out. I play that out through my willingness to sacrifice. I play that out through my, my willingness to act on my prayers, to seek what the spirit would have me pray for. I play that out a hundred different ways um, through the way I live my life and the way that I interact with my family, my patients. Uh, discerning is a high, um, a high level of connecting with God. And I, I think I'll be learning that one throughout my whole life, but that's the principle I'm, I'm earnestly seeking right now. Yeah. The gift of discernment is really interesting to me. Like uh, I'm curious from your perspective, like how is the gift of discernment different from just like wisdom or like foresight? Like how is the spiritual gift of discernment unique and important? And what is I it for somebody who might not know? I like how you said foresight. I, I see discerning as you, you make a decision without all the information that is the right decision. Mm -hmm. Wisdom is looking back at that decision and saying, wow, that really mattered. That really bore fruit. And I can see that now from this side of it, but before there's no way I could have. And so discerning is making the decision without the information. And that just goes back to what, what faith is. It's seeing God in his reality. It's seeing him in patterns. When you read the scriptures, I look for patterns of God. And I, maybe I can answer that also in part. I wrote down a, a quote here in my, on my phone I'd like to share that I think illustrates that. This is from the poet Elizabeth Browning. She says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. 
I love that. You know, it has the imagery of Moses at the burning bush. And he didn't know exactly what he was going to experience on that mountain. Uh, so much that God gave him instructions when he got there. This is a holy place. Take off your shoes. But I can see him in that way in my home. I can see him that way when I'm climbing the mountain. I can see him that way when I take time apart. I can see him in my patience. When I can see God all around me, discernment is the natural effect of that. Really cool. Really cool. Uh, I can feel the spirit for sure. So my, uh, my old Testament teacher actually shared that, that quote this last semester. So I, I recognized it, but I, I love that thought, right? There's, there are these spiritual experiences all around us kind of waiting for us. And like you were saying, like um, in, in college, right. You mentioned that there were, there were kind of those opportunities and you felt like, you know, if you just sacrificed, you could have had that. Right. And so I think discernment at, at some extent is recognizing those opportunities as well. Right. The discernment is seeing the burning bush and realizing, Hey, this is way better than blackberries. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or taking off your shoes because you recognize God. Right. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's recognizing the difference between like glory, right. And light. And so seeing like, okay, this is of God, right. It's being able to, um, this is another question that, that I thought of when you were talking that goes along with this is I feel like a lot of young adults have this question. I have never really struggled with it, but like, I, I understand where it comes from and it's how do you recognize if something is, is from you or from the spirit, right? If it's just your own thoughts or if it's spiritually guided. And so I was curious, I was talking to a friend about this last night. How do you feel the spirit? What does the spirit feel like to you? I like that question. I, I, uh, I think the more uh, I experience God, the more I intentionally seek him out in my prayers, the more I realize that all my thoughts come from him anyway. And I, I can't claim, uh, you know, the, the correct business decisions that I made in life when I, when it really comes down to it, my decision on, on when to start my family, the decisions on how to begin and, incorporate my, my career with any degree of success, I think selfishly, I would say, yeah, man, I'm so glad I thought of those things. But I think the more I, the longer I live, the more I experience God in life, the more I realize that all thoughts come from him. I'm experiencing him, whether I recognize him or not, in my thoughts, in my prayers. God is, God's the author of it all, every bit of it. And so there are just moments where I'm more aware of that fact. And that's when I connect with the spirit and the spirit ratifies that decision in my mind. Like, yes, you're right. Thank you for recognizing me. Thanks for seeing me in your work and your patience in your, in your drive, in your commute, in your studies. Thank you for seeing me. That's when I feel the spirit. It's because 
I'm focused on him and not that thing. And so that may be an ambiguous answer to your question, but I don't, I don't discern it a big difference in my thoughts and what God gives me is more the recognizing that he's the author of the, of all of it. Taking notes. So that's an, that's a cool answer. Cause I've never, I've heard that question asked a lot of times and I've never heard that answer. Like usually the answer is something like, Oh, like, don't worry about it. If it's a good thought, like just do it anyway. Right. But your perspective is different. You're saying, well, it's probably from God. Like whatever it is, it's, you can trace it back to God because he's, he created us. Right. And that's not to say we don't have our agency with our thoughts or with our actions or anything. Right. Because we do. And that's essential to the, to the plan. But discernment then is recognizing that he's like always there recognizing that there's all of these opportunities around us. There's all of these burning bushes everywhere and that we just need to sacrifice. We just need to take off our shoes and get down on our knees and, and surrender to him. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a really good synopsis. I think one important <laughs> point in, in that, um, in that restatement that you just gave that was very good is that, there's a tendency to not see God when something's painful. And uh, one of my favorite authors, Terrell Givens says that God doesn't instigate pain or suffering, but he weaves it into his purposes. So when we fear, when we feel loss or tragedy, he transforms it into wisdom and joy, but we don't always see it in that moment. Uh, And it's, it's through the ability to see him and ask for his help through those difficult struggles, things that feel impossible or unmanageable. And we apply our faith that there is a transformation. You know, we, we talk about how time is the great healer, but I think it's time that gives us the wisdom to see God in all parts of our life, even the painful ones, and especially even in the painful ones to turn to him in those moments. That's the test. Fantastic. This has been one of the most um, spiritual interviews that I've done for this. So I'm, I'm really enjoying this. This is really good. So I, I always finish off with one question and the answer is almost always different, but for you, young adults in the church have, have a variety of problems, right? Have a variety of um, struggles and it's a hard world that we live in. And so what advice would you give generally, broadly, to, to young adult members of the church who are struggling? Uh, the advice I'd give them is the same advice I gave to my missionary son. And it's what we've talked about throughout our, our interview today, to, to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to see God at any stage you're in. It was uh, it was Paul in the New Testament who said that he's learned to be content in, I, man, I can't quote the scripture, but he says, whatever circumstances in life he's, he's in, to be content. And that's not a passive um, answer. To be content doesn't mean that you're passive about it, but you actively look for 
for ways to connect to God no matter what circumstance you're in. When I was younger, I thought, man, if I just had the ability to have money, so many of my struggles would go away. And later in life, when when you have a career that makes better money, you look back and say, well, I wish I had more time. And once you finally have more time and you retire, you wish you had more connection. And there's these tendencies at every stage of life to feel like you can't have what you need. But the truth is, is you can have everything you need in a moment if you look to the author of your life, the, the true author. If that means taking, making a sacrifice to take time and go to the temple or to pray more earnestly or to balance your life in some way where you know that you're, you're not or to forgive some wrong that you're, you, you, you've carried a grudge for. Make the sacrifice, connect with God, and he'll author your story. Thanks for listening to Faith, Hope, and Prosperity, hosted by Austin Green. Find and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.